Astonishing Legends is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Squarespace, AMC Shutter, The Great Courses Plus, Robinhood, and our contributors at Patreon for making tonight's show possible. When one sees hallucinations, what are their origins? Are they internally generated by our sometimes troubled minds? Or could they be glimpses of an unseen reality around us that remains hidden from view most of the time? Maybe it's both. Over the years, we've gotten a lot of emails here at Astonishing Legends, and for the first couple of years, we answered as many as we could. However, the influx of messages and our ever-increasing workload forced us to fall back from that position a bit. That said, we still read every single one of them. Which brings us to this week's show. It's tied to an email that we received on September 26th of 2017. An email that told a story that even we were astonished by. And tonight, we're joined by the longtime Astonishing Legends listener who wrote that email. Her story is one in which the show itself became intertwined, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. As you listen this evening, consider what you would think if everything that happened to her happened to you. How would you feel if you had to walk in her shoes? Hopefully, you never will. But if you do, maybe her experience will help you defend yourself against the unknown. After all, knowledge is power in both the real world and the spiritual one. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. There was a spider woman on the stairs, not the fun spider woman. She was like an old woman made out of smoke and shadows, and she had these very jagged spider legs coming out of her back. And she stood on our staircase and she just stared at me. She had the most angry face I'd ever seen. Paraphrased quote from tonight's guest, Sarah. Join us tonight for an episode on hallucinations of evil and their origins. And we're back. Thanks for joining us again this week, folks. Uh, We're doing another single episode topic tonight, which we predict you are going to find fascinating. By the way, new coffee mugs are ordered and on their way, and they should be in the store by early March. We'll keep you posted on that. Oh, and on another fun note, I got my redaction marker, which was very exciting. (laughs) We should probably be using it a lot more in our outline. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have been redacting a lot of things. It's a true feeling of power. But most importantly, I went through the script that the Betts family sent, and with their permission, I redacted all the personal information out of it to protect people's privacy. And then we watermarked it and posted the entire thing as a password-protected PDF on Patreon for our patrons. It really is a fascinating read, so if you're a patron of the show, head over there and check it out. And if you're not a patron, but want to access extra content like that script, head over to patreon.com slash astonishinglegends and check it out. And also please remember to support our sponsors. Yes, between our sponsors and patrons, the show stays free to listen to and we get to keep the lights on here in Blanket Fortiana. 
So tonight's show is a very serious one, but just fascinating, I thought, very compelling about a real life and potentially very dangerous medical condition by someone we now know. Yes. And uh, speaking of medical conditions, I did want to explain that we did the interview a week or two ago and I had a cold back then or still had a cold. So yeah. Not like threatening, but no, it, was, no. it made you a little scratch. Yeah, I sound a little different. So I apologize for that. Our guest was overseas in the UK and we had some tech issues with the Skype, which Sarah... Mm-hmm. Our editor, the guest is also named Sarah. They are two different people, just to be absolutely clear. Sarah, our editor, was able to fix most of the dropouts and problems. But if you hear something that we had to leave in there, just know that we did our best to remove that. And we tried to fix it. We disconnected and reconnected the call several times, but it just kept happening. Yeah, mostly it was just a dip in the volume on her end for whatever reason. And we tried calling back several times and it just kept happening. So there you go. But anyway, we managed to cut around most of those. But if you do hear one, you'll have to forgive us. There's only so much you can do when you're thousands of miles apart. (laughs) Right. Makes me go back to thinking that perhaps that transatlantic cable may have been a better idea, but uh, (laughs) it actually sounds pretty good. But you're going to want to hear all the details in tonight's story because there are a lot of tie-ins with an episode we previously covered, which is, of course, that's the thematic tie-in here, but also a real-life scientific and medical one, which may have also some supernatural overtones to it. All right, without any further ado, we're going to go right into the interview, and Forrest and I will be back afterwards to talk about it. We are very fortunate to have a guest on the show tonight who's coming on to tell a very poignant story that does seem to connect with some shows that we've done in the past. This is someone who reached out to us and told us she was a listener, and she had a story she wanted to share. Her name is Sarah, and the first thing I'd like to do, Sarah, is welcome you to Astonishing Legends. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I'm sort of teasing your story because it's so compelling to me. The first thing that we'd like to do is hear what happened to you a few years ago. What year would this have been? I think it probably started around 2015. Okay. So fairly recently. Yes. Would you be comfortable sharing your story with our listeners? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, take your time and uh, whenever you're ready, we'd love to hear it. It's a little hard to identify exactly when it started because it was all quite I think innocuous to begin with. Um, it started around 2015. I started taking antidepressants for low mood, uh, fatigue, things like that. Around the same time, I actually had a hearing test because I developed tinnitus or tinnitus, and I remember how you say it. Uh, yeah, I have that, by the way. It's well, mine was it was pulsile tinnitus. Okay. So it sounded like a very rapid heartbeat. It never matched up to mine. It almost sounded like a hummingbird. Oof. Um, okay. It was very annoying. And that's when I actually started listening to a lot more podcasts because I was trying to drown it out. Sure. So I had hearing tests. They couldn't find anything and they put me on medication. I used to travel a lot for work. Um, I used to drive around the country and it was mostly me by myself in hotel rooms and things. And I started to hear voices. Initially, they were always female and they were always ones I knew. Um, My mom, sister and they were usually only calling my name. So my first reaction is I'm checking my phone to see if I've rung them by accident. I'm checking, is my laptop on? I'm checking, have they for some reason come to visit me in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere? But no, I'm just hearing them calling my name. So I brush it off as a kind of, well, that's an odd thing to be happening. But as time went on, this kind of continued. And I started to see things out of the corner of my eye. 
And you know how you get, you might see like a shadow at the corner of your eye and for a second you kind of panic and think, oh God, there's something there, but there's nothing. It started like that. And I would see often what I would take to be spiders or mice or things kind of just out of the corner of my eye darting around and I turn and there's nothing there. Okay. And these progressed over time and it's kind of hard to track what the time frame was for them developing because as I said the first few things were quite innocuous and I kind of just brushed them off as going oh well that's a weird thing that's going on I went back to the doctors and saying look I'm hearing people calling my name and think I'm starting to see things and they they just up my um my antidepressant medication then again I was away from home I was in a hotel somewhere in the middle of the countryside and I saw a hand coming out from under the wardrobe I was sat on the the bed and I was kind of getting off the bed to go to the side of the room to make a cup of tea or something and I saw it and I just I let back on the bed and I just stared at it I didn't know what to do I was like do I do I poke it do I call somebody I didn't I just I don't don't know why I just kept looking at it and eventually I kind of twigged and I can't remember what it was that made me twig but I just kind of went that's not there I don't know what that is but that's not a hand and I went I went over to it like when you see someone acting like an idiot on a horror film going over to something they shouldn't do that was (laughs) that was me going to investigate and I was in that hotel for I think I was there for a week and over that short space of time, the hands multiplied. Um, I started seeing several. And after the first time, they actually didn't worry me too much. I mean, it worried me that I was seeing hands because I knew that's not right. But they didn't scare me as much as kind of irritate me that something wasn't right, whether it was my eyes or something. But I remember one, one night, I think it was the last night I was there, I was sat on the bed with my back to the wall and I was on my computer and I saw out of the corner of my eye two other hands come out the wall on either side of my face and kind of fold around the front of my face and sort of jerk back towards me as though it was going to to pull me into the wall. Wow. Do they look solid in appearance or? They looked like 80% solid if that makes sense. They were kind of cartoony hands, almost like Mickey Mouse hands, you know, that kind of blobby glove they were yeah i'd say about 80 percent. so i think i think i could probably see vaguely through them but they didn't look completely solid but i i threw my laptop and then i i locked myself in the bathroom i don't know what that was going to do but and then fortunately i i don't think i slept that night because after the first time i saw them that was the first thing that scared me because i genuinely i felt for a minute oh hang on what if it felt like it was going to pull me into the wall it was a very unnerving experience so after that, I went home. I didn't work for a while. And that's when the little black shapes kind of out of the corner of my eye started sort of developing into more form shapes. Like it started off as small things, like it would be, again, mice or cats sometimes. And then they eventually became solid humanoid figures. And I would see them, they didn't move as much, but I would see them kind of stud. There were three who would stand in the corner of my room and they didn't do anything. They looked almost a bit like stick figures, but slightly blurry. And they just stood and I always felt like they were watching me, but 
obviously there was no faces, so I couldn't, you know, see anything. One of the reasons I stopped working as much is because I drove a lot for my job. I traveled around the country and I started seeing these black figures by the side of the road. It was a big fear of mine that maybe one would, I would see one die in front of the road and I would maybe slam on the brakes or swerve and I would cause some kind of car accident from these things which I was seeing. Around that time, I went to my the GP and I said these things. I'm worried there's something physically wrong with me. I don't think I need more antidepressants. I think I'm worried about a tumour. I'm worried about there's something physically wrong because these are not right and I know they're not there. So my GP sent me for an MRI, which came back completely clear. I kept going back. I was, I think I was quite a thorn in their side because I was quite adamant with them. I was like, I'm not mentally ill. I'm seeing these things, but I know it's not real. The voices had escalated a bit. For want of a better word, they became kind of almost like a physical presence, if that makes sense. You know, sure. if someone sort of stood behind you speaking, it sounds different to if you're just hearing a noise. You can sort of feel that the presence of them while they're speaking. It was like that. But there was two events of that which I remember particularly well. One time I was sat in my, my room at my desk and I very distinctly heard a voice in my ear go, ha ha. And it sounded like a little girl, um, but it felt exactly as though she had sort of tiptoed up behind me and kind of put her, her mouth right up to my ear and very sort of clearly enunciated, ha ha. Like I could almost feel breath on my ear and around the same time I was again I was home alone and I heard a man's voice again as if he was stood right in my room right in front of me I heard a man's voice saying you better watch yourself and looking back that was kind of a start of some of my less rational behavior because I grabbed our family sword and I found myself just standing on the landing with our sword for about 20 minutes to half an hour until my family came home because I was convinced I thought there was someone in the house who had threatened me. It honestly felt like this man was somewhere in my house and I don't know what I was going to do with this blunt 18th century sword, but <laughs> I, I was determined to do something, I guess. Yeah. Up to this point, I'd known the whole time, these aren't real. As things went on, it did start to get harder to remind myself that they're not real. As I said, this voice, my reaction to that was kind of a quite a clear example to my family that, you know, I wasn't acting as rationally as I would normally, as I would like to. Um, I wasn't quite able to write them off as easily as I had before. And um, it was, again, around that same time that the hallucinations again evolved as I said, I've still seen the little the black figures, the little stick figures around the place, but they were pretty harmless. They were just sort of stood there. But there were about two who, I guess, developed a character for want of a better term. Like they developed into fully fledged things who I would I saw and they they genuinely scared me. There was a spider woman on the, the stairs, not kind of like the fun spider woman. She was an, like an old woman made of kind of a combination of sort of smoke and kind of shadows. And she had these very jagged spider legs coming out of her back. Our staircase has a kind of a 90 degree turn halfway down. And she stood on this 90 degree turn 
and she just stared at me and she had the most angry face I've ever seen and I tell myself she's not there she's not there but if she was there and I was upstairs I couldn't go downstairs because she looked solid to me and she looked like she was stood there and I was scared to go past her my sister came home one time to find me stood at the top of the stairs throwing cushions down because they would just go straight through her there wasn't like a ripple or anything they would just go straight through spider woman but I was trying to convince myself look the pillows are going right through you can go through she's not there I was just trying to remind my rational brain look it's not physically there but I god I hated I hated her that spider thing I took to avoiding our living room because there was also a figure who I would see in there who had, it was a, a male figure. You know how anglerfish have these very thin, overlapping, sharp teeth? Yes. He had that, so that's all I would see of him, just these overlapping, sharp teeth. And I remember one time being sat on the couch, and right next to me was this figure with just these sharp teeth just stood next to me. And I'm trying not to look at it because no one else in my family is noticing it. And again, I'm telling myself, it's not there, it's not real. But there's the little irrational part of my brain that's saying, no, no, if you if you recognize it, if you let it know that you're looking at it, it's going to come for you. It's going to get your family. They can't see it, but, you know, you've got, if you ignore it, it can't get you. Sorry, I'm not. Um... You're doing fine. You're doing fine. How many people were living in your house with you, your family? At the time, there were five of us living here. My parents and my, my younger brother and sister. I'd moved back home my parents didn't trust me to live on my, live on my own <laughs> uh, which is fair enough to be quite honest um, yeah I kind of avoided the living room because I didn't like the teeth guy this is Jenny Chang thank you for listening to Astonishing Legends let's get back to the show so you were seeing specific characters in specific places those two yes yeah i didn't go out a lot around that time so i don't know if maybe i would have seen more characters in specific places there was um one other who i saw only i think only once or maybe twice um upstairs bathroom i went in there and there was a woman sort of hanging partway from the ceiling as though she was she was hanging by her neck but there was there was nothing around it but she just had her head to the side and she was rotten she had um one of her eyeballs had sagged down into her cheek and the hair was rotten away and <laughs> so this was an example of how blase I was at times because I I remember opening the door looking and just going nope and I closed the bathroom door and I just left it because I was like I'm I'm just not dealing with that right now i'm just not going to use that bathroom again Jeez. yeah um again around the same time so i've been going back to the doctors and they'd sent me for another mri scan but they'd also sent me around all the psychiatric departments because my moods had spiraled completely i was also having you know i was associating quite a lot i had no interest i was very tired basically all the symptoms which they initially diagnosed as depression and then was diagnosed as anxiety but I was like no that's not it I was sent to a psychiatric department near me where they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder but again I was the whole time I was telling them okay but I 
I want you to check for a physical thing. I think this is a physical thing. And I think a big issue that was had was that I had the hallucinations, but I was not experiencing delusions. I think if I had gone in and said, I'm seeing a man over there and I know he's there, they would go, okay, great. You're experiencing having the hallucinations. You think it's there. We can give you this medication. But because I was so adamant, I'm seeing it, but I know it's not real. It was harder for them to classify me, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. I was diagnosed with um, a psychotic break as well. After a while, they thought it maybe was epilepsy because I was also sometimes getting the smell of smoke. Um, so they gave me um, ECG or E, one of those ones, okay. to check again, no epilepsy. And eventually they diagnosed me with, I think it was um, a schizoaffective disorder. They believed that I was schizophrenic. But I was going through all these different things and I was seeing all these different doctors and they were doing these tests they believed I was mentally ill and I didn't and I think that was a very big bone of contention it got to the point very much with my doctors where you could see them just being like oh god it's her again I think they just wanted me to accept the diagnosis they were giving me like I did have one doctor one of the last ones say something along the lines of you know I think you just really need to seriously consider that you are mentally ill and that we can work with that. You know, there's things we can do to help you, but you need to accept that. And I said, okay, but I'm not. So that didn't really go down. Yeah, okay, well. but no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I, don't, I don't really know why, but I just knew, because I, I study psychology. I've got two degrees in it. I understand psychology. I understand mental disorders. I don't have anything against mental disorders. I don't see a stigma. Right. I don't think there should be a stigma with being diagnosed with a mental disorder, but I was 100% sure that that's not what I had. And if I'd felt that, that I was mentally ill, then I would have accepted it and gone, okay, fine, I am bipolar, I am schizoaffective, I am having a psychotic break, but I'm not. So I'm not accepting that, which, like I said, didn't go down well. (laughs) As I said, I was going around all the different seen so many different psychiatric facilities and so many different psychiatrists and psychologists and doctors who all gave me different diagnoses, different theories for what I I had. And one of the ways they test for psychosis is basically a checklist. There was one that they they did twice. And the first time I did it, I took it very, very seriously. By the second time I had to do one, I, I was kind of done with it because I was there going, nope, this is not where I should be. I don't see why I should be here because this is not helping me in the slightest. Which is, of course, what everyone says who's in that scenario. Exactly, which doesn't help at all. I remember one of the questions on the checklist is, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something on the lines of, do you believe that God or the devil are talking to you? And then the next question is, how long do you believe God or the devil has been talking to you? And obviously it's supposed to be a, if the patient answers this, then you ask that. The person who gave me the second test obviously hadn't been doing it very long. So she asked me, how long has the devil been talking to you? So I said, he's not. (laughs) And I did that. I started laughing because I was thinking, I can't believe I'm at this point in my life where she asked me how long I've been chatting with the devil. And I just started laughing. And that's not something you want to do in the middle of a psychiatric exam. Uh, it didn't go down fantastically for me (laughs) fortunately there was another doctor in there who did kind of understood why I was laughing because I think that could have gone pretty badly um if he hadn't intervened but they wanted to put me on antipsychotics there was 
talk for a while when my moods got very bad of, of having me sectioned. My mom even said, I mean, she's kind of bit at her wit's end, I think. But she even said, you know, if it's going to help you, if it's going to fix, then we would, you know, we would find somewhere to, to send you, which is kind of a, a bit of a jarring thing to hear. Sure. Um, I didn't want to take the, the antipsychotics because that felt like giving in. Again, that's what everyone feels in that situation. But if they're given the antipsychotics, the doctor said they would have to inform the DMV, who would then take away my driving license. And I wouldn't be able to work because I drive for a living. And I, I drive to see my friends. And that just felt like one bit of freedom. That felt like a, a bit of a, a chain around my ankle almost if I gave in and, and agreed to that. At this time, I was hearing things. I was actually listening to podcasts almost constantly because if I was listening to that, I couldn't hear the things talking to me. And I was seeing things almost constantly. And some of them, like I said, I was very blasé about. The hands would still appear on occasion. But I remember batting them away because it was very much like, you know, just get out of the way. This is not important. So even like the figures, the stick figures uh-huh. were just almost like every day. Like, okay, that's there. It shouldn't be there. But its presence isn't upsetting me. Well, its presence is upsetting me in that I know that I'm seeing something I shouldn't be seeing. So something is clearly wrong with me. But that being there wasn't upsetting. The spider woman upset me. Um, the teeth guy upset me. But in a way, I think I was I was very lucky, actually, in a way that I didn't believe it. Because I think it would have been terrifying if I truly believed that these things were in my house. And I at least had the sort of protection in a way of saying, well, it's not real. I'm seeing it, but it's not actually coming for me. I don't know why I didn't get the delusions, but I'm very grateful that I, I didn't, that I knew from the start that it wasn't a real thing. And I was also, I was lucky that I had friends who, if, if I was somewhere on my own and I started seeing things, I could send them a picture. They get a picture from me at one o'clock in the morning of the corner of the room. And they would just send back, there's nothing there. And I go, okay, thanks. Just to reinforce with myself that it wasn't real because there were times when I was starting to doubt myself. So I was there, even though I know it's not real and I know I'm not seeing something that's actually there, but what if I am? But I was lucky that I had friends and my sister who would go out of their way to prove to me, no, you're not, it's not really, just kind of reinforce it to kind of keep me on track. With the shadow figures, the stick figures, and and the spider woman, were you able to look at them directly, or could you only see them indirectly? I looked at them directly. Okay. The um, shadow people were more, yeah, they were a bit more edge of the vision. Like, I could clearly see them, but it wasn't directly in front of me, but it wasn't just out of the corner of my eye, if you know what, it's that kind of in-between okay. area. sure. But the spider woman was, I saw her, like I would be looking straight at her and I'm trying to, trying to convince myself to go down the stairs. Yeah. I was out one time in a supermarket with my, my best friend and she took something off a shelf and behind that was a face. And I'd say a, a sort of a stereotypical creepy witch face, like the old queen from Snow White, mm-hmm. that kind of face. And it was just there and... I was trying not to react because we were out with her little girl and I didn't want her to, you know, she was only about four and I didn't want her to be like, why is Auntie Sarah acting weird? Why is she yelling at the cereal boxes or something? But I was kind of side-eyeing it because I'm like, I know it's not real, but just, you know, just keep an eye on it. And my best friend, she saw me doing this and she kind of 
mouths at me is one there and when I nodded yes she sort of very deliberately put her hand in and put it straight through the face mm-hmm. just to reinforce to me it's not there look I'm going right through it so that helped a lot it's hard to tell what happened when because there was a lot of time kind of went a bit funny and I kind of cut myself off from a lot of stuff and I stopped working because of my mood and because I didn't trust myself to be out on my own because I was genuinely worried what if I'm out and I suddenly go oh my god that thing is real and I freak out in public or something and I was I was genuinely worried that I was having an increasingly I think tenuous grip on what was real and what wasn't. Were you an independent contractor or did you work for so like did you actually have to quit a job or just start turning down freelance work? I had a very weird job. I was a traveling salami salesman, which is a salami. Um, you know, salami, like chorizo German <laughs> yeah, sausages. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure I was understanding. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird job title. To have. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I, so I, I traveled a lot for that. And it was quite fortunate that I could turn down work if I needed to. And it was lucky as well that when it was at the worst was during a quiet time of the year. So okay. I didn't have to turn down much, but I did start. In fact, before I started turning down the work, my sister came with me once or twice on markets, partly to keep me company and partly just as a keep an eye on a sort of thing. Yeah, um, I turned down some work, but it wasn't as as catastrophic as it could have been for okay. in another job. Okay. It was probably around that time that your episode about Annalise Michelle came out. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I've been back and forth to doctors and they've been giving me every diagnosis under the sun. And it felt with some of them, they were actually getting a bit annoyed with me and being like, you just got to accept it. You are mentally ill. There's nothing physical you're psychotic or you're bipolar or you're schizophrenic or something, but you you know, take this medication and it will fix you. And But I kept showing up going, no, 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 please give me another test, do something else. But I remember listening to the episode and some of the things, obviously, fortunately, not all of them, but some of the things did sound a little bit familiar. Like um, she would see like faces appear in front of her and she would hear some Things like just some vague things where I was like, that sounds familiar. And um, of course, you had Father Duffy on. Mm-hmm. And I still remember when I was listening to it. And I remember stopping doing everything else I was doing and just focusing because I was thinking, oh, this is maybe this could help. And I just still remember hearing just the sentence of even something as simple as a thyroid disorder could cause something. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, that's it. That has to be it. And I went and I researched and I found a lot of articles online, but I found a lot of case studies and like psychiatric reports and research papers and things, which uh, talked about a lot of them were about hypothyroidism, but there was some about hyperthyroidism causing psychotic breaks or paranoia about hallucinations, visual and auditory and things. So I printed off a bunch of those and I went to my doctor and I said, I want you to test me for thyroid disease please and the doctor was like well we've, we've tried things and I do think that you need to consider that maybe you are mentally ill and I kind yeah. of dumped this pile of papers at him and I said look I will take the antipsychotic medication if this doesn't turn out but please please will you just just test my thyroid because it's it's a blood test just please test it and then if it's not that I will accept it I'm mentally ill so the doctor said, okay, fine, ordered a blood test. 
And then a week, two weeks later, I get a phone call and he says, you've got Graves' disease. It's a form of hypothyroidism. We can put you on medication. They put me on medication within a month. My hallucinations had completely stopped. Did he not say sorry anywhere in there <laughs> that I tried no, to convince you? It was very much a kind of a, oh, well, I guess it's this. Oh, um, man. Wow. But I, I saw quite a few different doctors. Sure. Um, there were varying empathy levels, I think. Uh-huh. Um, this doctor, he was a bit more open to the idea, even though he had said, look, maybe you should just consider that you are mentally ill. So at least he was willing to go forward with it. But now he just, yeah, you've clearly got Graves' disease, you've got hypothyroidism, and then one pill for a couple of weeks. And it's something I have to keep an eye on for the rest of my life. I've had to take medication for a long time, but I'm fixed. And the worry that I, I had all the way through it was that I was going to be put on psychotic medication or any kind of psychological therapies or medication and the underlying problem would still be going i was worried that they put me on chlorpromazine or something for the antipsychosis and maybe i'll stop having hallucinations but whatever was physically wrong with me would keep on going sure so this was kind of a a big relief of going oh my god this is what's been causing it and looking back because i I'd, I'd never been ill as an adult i never had time off work i'd never had time off school even when i was younger um, I'd never had any medical problems up until past five or so years. And looking back, they're all linked to hypothyroidism. My my pulsile tinnitus, my depression, my hallucinations, obviously, all of it is caused by my thyroid. So yes, medication, hallucinations stopped, everything else stopped. The thing with thyroidism is that it can in certain situations, be fatal. It leads to something called a thyroid storm. I think it is where essentially, because Graves' disease is, it's an autoimmune disease and it's kind of your body's attacking itself in a way, from the way I understand it. Mm -hmm. And a thyroid storm is your pulse and your body temperature and everything goes so extreme that you just, I think you just die. (laughs) You have a heart attack or something, I think is how it, it works. And when I was diagnosed, they measure your your thyroid hormone levels, which is, I guess, you know how your your thyroid is working, and they measure something called thyroxine, which is one of the hormones in the the body. And mine were at the extremes, and my immune system was being suppressed. The doctor actually told me, "Look, if you get a sore throat, or you get a cold or something, just go straight to the emergency room because." It could be your body's stopped working, um, which was a bit scary. <laughs> yeah. First question I want to ask you, you said sectioned. I think in the U.S. we would say that we call that committed. That means that you might have been involuntarily, your family might have decided to involuntarily put you somewhere for treatment. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That's right. Okay. And how long did you suffer from this before you essentially self-diagnosed your problem? I think it started, it was probably spring or summer of 2015 Okay, was when it kind of started. It escalated towards the end of 2016. And then your episode came out, it was the second episode, it came out on the 14th of July, 2017. 
Okay. I had my diagnosis by August 2017. Wow. So I went pretty much a week after to the doctor and, and demanded my my results. So it went on for a while, two years. Two years. She's, you know, it's obviously been a while since you initially contacted us, which is a sign of how disorganized we are. But, um, <laughs> you know, you and I have kept in touch since you first reached out to us. And we, mm -hmm. I'm glad we were able to sort out getting you interviewed. But one of the things that I had wanted to do, and I read over the holidays, over Christmas while I was visiting my family, uh, was the book Brain on Fire by Susanna Cahalan, which was a bestseller. And that was about anti-NMDA encephalitis or NMDA autoimmune encephalitis, which is not the same thing as Graves' disease, but they do apparently have a lot in common. Now, you have since mm -hmm. read that book as well, right? Yes, I have. How was it for you reading that book? Did you feel like there was a lot of common ground between what she went through and what you went through? It did. There was particularly how she was describing some of the things at the start where she was experiencing things that other people was, weren't experiencing, like some of her delusions that she was having mm -hmm. quite familiar but when I was reading that I count myself lucky as I, I think I said before that I I didn't experience delusions along with it because it sounds like she had an absolutely terrifying experience and I'm very glad mine didn't get that far <laughs> yeah do you think that it might have progressed to that point? I mean, because you're in a battle here with these hallucinations continuing and you're having to ask friends and family to, you know, sending them photos in the middle of the night. I mean, this is the equivalent of torture because this is what they do where they try to essentially your own mind is, is gaslighting you, which it's trying to convince you that you are seeing this stuff. So had you not been properly diagnosed, do you think it could have worn you down over time and you might have started to believe they were real? I think probably yes. I mean, it did become harder to remind myself that they weren't real. And I did actually find myself at certain points thinking, well, maybe it is there. And then I'd have to kind of you know, sort of almost slap myself and go, no, it's not. You know, it's not. Or I'd have, you know, someone, my family or my friends do something to remind me. But I could probably have seen it wearing me down and just kind of it would have been easier, I guess, to accept it as being there than continuing to to fight it and go, nope, you're not real. Yeah. And so trying to walk past the shadow people. Yeah. So at that point too, the shadow people episode had preceded Annalise Michel, right? Were you borrowing any trying to die of any self-diagnosis from the Shadow People series, trying to figure out how that might relate to you, or maybe even the Sludge Entity series? Did you hear that one as well? That did cross my mind. I've actually been really interested in the paranormal since I was little. Like okay. I, I used to read all true ghost stories. And whenever we go somewhere, I would insist on going on the ghost walk. I mean, at that point, I had, you know, 20 odd years of accumulated paranormal information. So I think there's every chance that my brain was kind of there going, oh, great, let's use this. Let's, hey, remember that thing that freaked her out? Let's do that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's interesting. So it was drawing on your own knowledge, you think, to kind of present you with some of your worst fears. I hate the sea. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not a fan of deep water. I do find the creatures, like particularly at the bottom of the sea, very scary. Right. And the teeth guy in the living room was very much reminiscent of as I said, the anglerfish who lived down there. Yes. So I could see that kind of growing on that. And yeah, I think there probably are a lot of, I guess, accumulated, all the various different stories I've heard over the years kind of mashed together to create things that I find unpleasant, 
which is not a fun thing to be thinking your brain's trying to like, you know, double cross you like that, but... <laughs> Hi, I'm Eva, from Baltimore, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now, back to the show. During this time that you were having the hallucinations, did you suffer any, like, un- because I know that Susanna Cahalan had a lot of odd physical symptoms as well, like itching and things like that. Did you suffer anything like that while you were going through this? I did have, um, I developed a tremor. Okay. Um, in my hands, I couldn't get rid of, and I developed also a bit of a a tick. Uh-huh. Um, I would find myself jerking my my head very sort of rapidly to one side. Other than that, I don't remember it. I did, but um, they're, they're the ones that, that stick out because that's something I remember my mum saying, "Why are you doing that?" It's like I don't know. It's just it's just happening. And you couldn't control it, but then once you got it under control, that went away as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How real? Was the Spider Woman and the and the Fish Guy? I'm going to call him the Fish Guy. How how <laughs> how real were they to you when you were sitting next to them? What was that experience like? Or when when she was on the stairs, did it? I know you said you were throwing pillows through her and they just went through her, but did they seem like actual beings that were there to you? They felt real. Like the stick figures and the hands even didn't feel properly real. But the Spider Woman, she as I said, she properly did scare me. I, I tried to describe this to someone a while ago, and it's like when you're watching a horror film or when you're going through a haunted house. I don't know how you feel about haunted houses, uh, <laughs> like the, the fairground ride ones. But um, Well, I used know, to like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My perspective yeah, has shifted, um, yes. When you're going on a fairground ride or something, and you know it's completely fake, but it's something jumps out at you, you're still scared of it. Sure. Or when you're watching a horror film, you know it's completely fake, but you still jump, you're still scared when it's happening. And it was kind of like that, even at the start when I was 100%, that's not there, I'm seeing it, but I know it's not there. It was very hard to try and make myself, as I said, I couldn't make myself go walk through it because it felt like it was there. It felt like at any second it would reach out and grab me. And she didn't, she never moved other than just sort of, I guess, turning to watch but there was always in the back of my mind this thought of, no, she could, she's just waiting, she's going to move and, and get me. She looked and felt very real to me. During this time, did you also have, did you ever have any strange dreams when this was going on? Um, I don't think so. I actually, I used to have very vivid dreams. Um, around this time, I actually stopped remembering my dreams i don't know oh. if i stopped dreaming but i stopped remembering them interesting yeah it was quite weird because up to that point i'd always been one of those really irritating people who gone oh i had this great dream last night <laughs> but no i i stopped either stopped remembering or stopped having them actually which i hadn't thought about <laughs> until now but yes that was around then actually not to assail traditional medicine but it sounded like there was a little bit of prejudice against your insistence of what was really happening to you. What do you think contributed to that? I mean, do you, not to get too far down this road, you know, people always talk about with doctors, there's God complex or there's, you know, they've had all this training. There also may have been like misogynistic tendencies. Do you feel like that stuff was playing into them just refusing to listen to you about what you thought was going on? Or do you think it's because there's so many other patients that, all insist on the same things and they actually turn out to be wrong. 
it felt like a combination. I didn't see one doctor through the whole thing. It was some I'd see once. There was a, a lot of different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was probably a combination of a lot of them. Like Some of them did very much seem to be the opinion of, well, I think it's this, and you're not a doctor, so you're not right in this, and I'm right. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of reading since then about it, and there is a big problem, of, particularly with younger women being overdiagnosed with mental problems in lieu of actually seeking out a physical solution to things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, that's not saying for a second that I don't think you should be diagnosed with mental disorders. I'm wholeheartedly for that. But it is particularly a problem with young women that they're more likely to say you have anxiety than maybe you've got breathing problems or they're more likely to say you have depression than and having hallucinations, then maybe we should check your thyroid or something. Mm-hmm. It's also a case of where I live. Unfortunately, I think our psychiatric care system is not the best funded in the world. Uh-huh. Um, so I think once you're diagnosed with something psychological, it's hard to convince them that it isn't psychological. Right. And I don't think they have the energy or the funds to kind of go, nah, I think you should check something physical with her first and then, you know, send her back if you can't find anything. With your symptoms, this is something I should have asked earlier. Were they fairly consistent or did they come and go? Did you think, oh, I'm, I'm better? Like, were there times when the things went away and it seemed better? Or was it fairly consistent that whole time? Some of them seemed to to ebb and flow. The hallucinations just kind of ramped up. The visual ones just kind of seemed to, they just escalated. The hearing things seemed to ebb and flow. Like, sometimes there would be, I'd be hearing voices all the time. And then other times it would be quiet. Or then other times it would be just the tinnitus would be back. And then a lot of the other symptoms kind of fell on the back burner compared to focusing on my hallucinations. So I'm not I'm not quite clear on those. So I assume they, they didn't get worse because they weren't taking up enough of my attention to worry about them, I guess. Near the top of the show, you talked about the voices and you said that they initially at least were tended to be voices you knew of family members that you knew. That's what you were hearing? Yeah, initially it was all female ones, and it was all ones I knew, like pretty much all family members, all friends, which is why I was I was checking my phone because I was I, I was thinking I must have phoned them by accident or I've got a video from them or, or something. And it, did those voices progress to ones that you didn't know after that? Yes, they actually stopped. The voices I knew stopped, and that's when it became voices I didn't know. And the voices I didn't know were often a lot more upsetting or aggressive. Like the voice I heard, which end up with me on the landing was not a voice I knew. Um, it was a male voice. It was quite an angry voice, but it's not one I recognized. And the voice that sort of went ha-ha in my ear, that sounded like a little girl, but not one I, I knew. They did change into ones that I didn't actively recognize, but they could be ones I guess I, I knew from somewhere, but not that I knew immediately. What kind of things were they conveying to you? Either the ones that were your family or the scarier ones. Was it complete thoughts or was it as simple as the little girl saying ha-ha or was it more evolved like trains of thought? The ones which are family members just said my name, like they were trying to get my attention. The ones I didn't know, it was always directed at me and a lot of them got quite malicious. I said there was one who said, you better watch yourself. Right. There was one or two who who made threats against my, my family who just kind of like, I would hear them say, I'm going to kill them. They weren't nice voices. They would either be threatening me or threatening my family or laughing at me. 
Before we started the interview, you had mentioned that you did keep a diary of some of the things that were happening to you? Yeah, I did. It was quite blasé, kind of offhand <laughs> mentions of um, of things. Is there any of that you'd like to share with us? I read through, I think I found the first mention in my diary I could find of anything particular. Like I said, I didn't know everything down, but I've got the 21st of May, 2015. I wrote, um, sometimes I wonder if I'm just being needlessly paranoid or misinterpreting eye grit and shadows. The shape in the corner of my eye is really taking a form of some kind. And then later on in, in June, I wrote about so I think I'm having some kind of side effects from the medication I'm taking, although I hope it's side effects, because if not, I've definitely got a bigger problem on my hands. I can't see the doctors for a few weeks, but it's been going on for a while now and it's getting worse. This sucks. I've edited out the swear words because I know it's a family <laughs> show. Um, I think I, I got quite sweary. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I've got, let's see, um, 27th of August, 2015. Okay, so either I'm suddenly clairvoyant or I'm seeing things. And what the hell is that burning smell? Why can no one else smell that? I think I'm losing my mind. 10th of October. Glad my sister's staying because I just saw a man walk through the hall and otherwise I would be freaking the heck out. Oh. 15th of October. Hallucinations without delusions are annoying. I know there's nothing there, but my brain's insisting there's a shadowy thing on the stairs. I had to throw cushions down it to prove it wasn't there so I could go down and make tea. And even then I had to shut my eyes when I tried to walk through it. I'm lucky, and I guess unusual, that I'm having these, that I'm not having delusions to think they're real, but I still see them and they still freak me out. Try reading a book quietly when the hands are coming at you over the bed. It's getting harder to remind myself that they're not real, but they're not. I've got one about, I, I wrote when the, as I heard the ha-ha in my ear. That was the 29th of December, 2015. Creepy thing happened before. I was home alone and right in my ear, I hear a voice go, ha ha, and it freaked me the hell out. It was like a little girl's voice, and I didn't just hear it, I felt it. Like someone leant right into my ear and very clearly enunciated it. And I know I have a history of things like this, but in the past it was more like a sound and not the feeling of physical person along with it. Like when I had that psychotic break, although fun update on that, now they think maybe I'm epileptic and the hallucinations and the smelling smoke and everything could be a mini seizure. Although if it isn't, we're back to square one as far as explanations go. Anyway. The sound before was more like a sound being played in the room on a speaker, not like the physical presence of someone being there and saying it. I'm walking this very narrow line right now where I know this is bollocks, but I think it's real all the same. I don't know. Either this is a new hallucination or I'm going more crazy or I'm just being haunted. None of these are exactly the ideal scenario right now. Like I said, I was very blasé when I was writing it. I didn't, I'm not really one who goes very deep in the emotions when I write um, right. a diary. Last one, if, if that's all yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. So the 7th of January, 2016. Dropped sister off at station, and apparently the parents are on the way back from the airport, which is good because there's a woman hanging in the bathroom and I refuse to deal with that. Looks like I'm going back to the doctors. And then later on, I told mum what's going on with the hallucination suggestions were PMT and maybe it's your nana. If nana did choose to come back from the other side, I'd like to think she'd have better things to do than lurk on the stairs like some kind of shadow and scare the hell out of her oldest grandchild. And don't even get me started on the PMT suggestion. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you were up against everything trying to figure this out. Susanna, in her book, In Brain on Fire, she talked about paranoia too. Did you have any of that? Or, you know, any concerns about your family? Or, or did that not happen for you? I did have 
sometimes it was hard to distinguish what was paranoia about seeing the things and just thinking there was something wrong with my brain. But um, I did find myself getting more paranoid. Like I, I'm someone who's quite happily, quite happy to walk on my own at night. It doesn't worry me. Mm-hmm. But for the first time, I was, I'd be walking, I'd be convinced there's something behind me, and I'd be convinced that my family were talking about me. I'd be convinced that they didn't believe me. I got quite paranoid. I had quite a lot of arguments my, with my mum, where I would be yelling at her, going, "You don't believe me. Why don't you believe me?" And she'd be like, "I do believe you. I do." Like, I don't think you don't. You're lying. Why are you lying? So I was quite, I got, did get quite convinced that people weren't being truthful with me. I was quite paranoid that they were, you know, talking about me or that they were, you know, thinking I was a liar or something. So there was that. But again, fortunately, not to be the extent that, that Susanna had. Right. But it still didn't sound like a picnic for you, though, either. It um, wasn't fun. No, <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> when you mentioned that you managed to get it treated and you have to take medicine for a long time, is this a lifelong thing or how does that treatment play out? From what they've said, I'm not 100% an expert on it, but um, from what they've said, it is a long term thing. They're actually taking me off the thyroid medication briefly mm-hmm. because I think in some situations it can be a kind of one off okay. situation. And I mean, I was on the medication for up until I think two months ago because when I was diagnosed, my my levels were, were very low. So it was taking that long for them to actually get back into a normal range. Okay. Unfortunately, I've started experiencing some of the symptoms again. Now I'm off the medication, so there is a probable chance that they're going to put me back on it and I will be back on it for life. The options are usually either leave you on the hypothyroid medication for life or what they prefer to do is either radiotherapy Uh or to actually remove your thyroid and then have you on hypothyroid medication for the rest of your life. So not fantastic scenario, so I'd rather think remain on the medication for now and then see how it goes but it's yeah it's a a relatively long term it's something I'm going to have to be aware of I think for the rest of my life but it's something that was a very incredibly easy fix once we knew what the problem was. So the diagnosis was a lot more trouble than the fix? A lot more I mean as I said I started taking the medication and within two weeks my hallucinations had stopped my moods were almost back to to normal. All right. Well, now you've heard the show. You've been listening. You told you told me before we started. You're a hundred percent caught up. So now I'm going to ask you the <laughs> astonishing legends questions. Are you ready for these? Oh God. <laughs> no, it's okay. There's only a few of them. Um, oh, I think my heart rate just went through the roof. No, no, don't. You know, if there's anything you don't want to answer, you don't have to. But um, okay. are you a religious person? Does your family is there religion in your background? I was brought up Roman Catholic. We went through all the. The motions, you know, confirmation, christening, all that stuff. Uh, I'd say I am a lapsed Catholic, okay. but um, it's important in my my family. So life. you you grew up with that. Was there ever any part of you during your experience that thought I might be possessed? No. Okay. <laughs> As I said from the start, I think I was very scientifically minded about it. Not that. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean that to sound as disparaging as I think. No, it no, it's sounded. it's not. No, no, no. Say, I didn't think it was disparaging at all. So no, it was an open-minded question, <laughs> and that's an open-minded answer. So <laughs> yeah, no, as I said, I I grew up with all of that, and I know all things. And as I said, I also I grew up with interest in the paranormal and things. But I don't think 
for a second it crossed my mind that it was anything but an illness. I actually went to um, the Mackenzie. Greyfriars. Greyfriars, yes. Uh-huh. I've been there because I used to live in Scotland and I used to go there regularly. Uh-huh. And I've been around there and I would actively seek out these places. So you'd assume maybe I'd be a bit more open-minded to the idea but not once did it cross my mind that it was anything but something medical something physical now that you've been through this and you know about the symptoms and and you've also read brain on fire and you know clearly there's a condition out there that has only relatively been diagnosed for humanity Mm -hmm. like in the past 10 years or 12 years or so giving (laughs) all the information that you now have and what you've personally lived through, do you personally believe in the idea of possession and exorcism and those sort of things that some people think Annalise Michel went through? Or do you think she was more likely misdiagnosed with the condition that uh, Susanna said in her book, the same condition that she had, or something more like what you had with Graves' disease? I, I think I'd be more inclined to say that there was something medically wrong with her. Uh-huh. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm open-minded to the idea of possession and things like that, but it does seem in Annalise Michelle's case, it does seem that there's a there could have been a lot of other explanations for it, and I would put possession kind of lower down the the list. Okay, maybe right, which is the same thing Father Duffy said when he was on our show was that. <laughs> He believed in the possibility, I was a 100% believer in possession, had seen what he thought or what he felt like he knew were cases of possession, but um, he also felt the same way that you did. And so it's pretty fascinating to me, I guess, the idea of of those two possibilities coexisting, or or some people at least thinking that they do. I'm sure that we'll have listeners to the show, and we'll probably get a lot of feedback on this episode of people who will say, well, no, possession doesn't exist. This is what it is in every case. It's either Graves' disease or uh, the NMDA encephalitis, or some other unknown condition. But there will be other folks that will say, well, those things all exist, but you have to differentiate and determine because in other cases, and this brings me to kind of one of my last big questions, is, do you think that your condition could be remedied with nothing more than a religious ceremony or, or intervention, like an exorcism or something like that? Does it ever go away, what you know about Graves' disease, or or can it go away without medical treatment? I think maybe some of the symptoms could be suppressed. I mean, obviously, the placebo effects are you know, very well documented. Mm-hmm. And I think if someone's got the, the strong enough belief in a religion, I think it probably could very well maybe help repress the, some of the symptoms, but I don't think it could actually fix them. Like, as I said, I'm I'm a lapsed Catholic. I don't think there's anything I believe in enough that would cure it other than medicine. But no, I, I think it could maybe suppress the symptoms and maybe make the person feel better. But I think they would still have the underlying problem of they've still got a thyroid disorder or they still have something like that. Right. Do doctors have any idea how this comes on in a person? I don't think so. Um, I think they they have like a rough idea of, you know, it affects more women than men. Mm. Um, I think it can run in families, but it it doesn't seem to run in mine. They have a lot of ideas of maybe smoking could cause it or or something like that. But I think sometimes it might be one of those things that just happens. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not quite sure. Sure, sure, um, of course. For me, there's no family history. There's no particular reason that I would have it. 
other than I've just had it. Um, so I guess it's just one of those things sometimes. Well, the most important thing is we're so glad that she's okay now and she's, she's getting better. Yeah. And she figured it out, which is amazing. You know, there's a lot of things about this story that struck a chord with me, not the least of which being that listening to an episode of our show is what brought her out of it. And Father Duffy, you know, I, I have not contacted him ahead of time. I could text him, but I kind of wanted this episode to be a surprise for him. So I'm going to... Oh, if he's still listening. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't mean that. Yeah. I don't expect him to be sitting around listening to every episode, but I'm planning to text him after this goes up and say, right. check it out. He wasn't claiming anything definite to be sure. He was just saying that's a possibility. It could be as something as simple. Something as simple as, as a thyroid. Yeah, yeah. He just said as a thyroid problem or a thyroid yeah. condition, I think. So yeah. that gave her the seat she needed to get, yeah. you know, get it figured out. And I do want to talk about some of the aspects of her interview, but the first thing that I wanted to address was for me, and I'm probably the only person that thinks this, and maybe this is a dangerous point of view, but that the idea of the word hallucination has kind of a stigma to it mm -hmm. that I think is unfair. Like when you, when I was looking up the definition of it, or one of the many definitions for it said that it was objects with no reality. So then I was like, well, what is reality? What is real? And the definition of that was having objective independent existence, existing as a physical entity or having properties that deviate from an ideal law or standard. Now, the definition of hallucination, according to Merriam-Webster, is perception of objects with no reality, usually arising from disorder of the nervous system or in response to drugs, such as LSD. Yeah, we'll talk about that actually a little bit later. The next part of that definition says an unfounded or mistaken impression or notion, and then a colon, and it says delusion. Right. So Which she did not have, I think, as we No, and she made that about. clear. She said, yeah. I was not delusional. Well, that's what's interesting, too, yeah. is that that made it hard for them, the doctors, to give her a more firm diagnosis from their end. Right. The idea of the hallucination is attached to the definition of reality and what is real. And as anyone who listens to our show knows, we're not real set in stone on what reality is. <laughs> well, we don't view it that way. A lot of people don't either. But you hit on an important point in that that is a natural, I believe, part of the human condition, human behavior, our modes of how we want to think about things, is that there are a lot of common themes here that we're seeing, which is why this story was so interesting. It touches on a lot of them in that we, as humans, generally, and I believe especially with the scientific community, want to think that we have it figured out. We want to have control over our experiences and our input, what we see, what we feel, what we hear, what we know, what we think we know, because it makes us feel good that, yeah, we got this figured out. I mean, yeah, sure, there are all things that we're experimenting with and we're still learning new things, but we pretty much got this down. And that has been the case since the first people on the earth, is that that's a part of being human. And... 200 years later, 100 years later, maybe 50 years later, we realized like, oh, we didn't really know everything. Somebody made a comment, I think, I can't remember if it was on uh, Twitter or uh, how it came to us, maybe through Facebook, but I've experienced this myself. When I was in college way, way back when, I had an ulcer or something that felt like an ulcer. And I remember back in the old, old days, stress is what you're stressing out too much. Well, you're in college. Yeah, you're obviously, well, you know, like with her and that sometimes this condition with Graves can be stress induced. They're not really sure what causes it. It might be a part uh, hereditary as well, something in your genes, but no single gene has been found. Yeah, she was talking about that right. as well. Um, yeah. You know, but I remember way, way back in the day, 
at least what I had the new medication was that what we can do is alleviate some of that pain. So they gave you Tagamet, which turns off your stomach acid. So, all right, thank goodness it's not burning anymore, or I get that sharp pain, and then you can allow it to heal. Well, just 10 years later, then they find out that it's H. pylori backdoor, I believe, is the little bug that causes it's viral, the ulcer. Right. Bacterial, I believe. Bacterial, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think I got the name right. It's been such a long, long time. But it's they, an infection. It can be induced or aggravated by stress, but they're not totally sure. It could be just something you ate or touch, you know, like anything else. And they gave me a course of two antibiotics that worked in conjunction. One was uh, sulfur-based, interestingly enough, and was extremely bitter. But in that time, they figured something out, which before was like, no, nah, you're just too stressed out. Here, uh, have some antacids. Antagonist, that was a new thing. But they discover stuff along the way all the time. And my point here is that everybody does that. We like to think we have it figured out. And as her experience showed, you go to the doctor and it's just like, hey, I, I know a little bit more about this than you do. I went to medical school. You don't. So, you know, I may not have it all figured out, but let's go with my assessment here because I think I got it more figured out than you. And connecting this back to hallucinations, people don't like to hear that because it's like, what, you're seeing things? Well, I know what's real. You don't now, apparently. Like, you're seeing stuff that isn't real. And that touches on the fact that maybe there are more things that are out in reality that people aren't willing to accept that they're seeing, but it bothers us to think about things that... <laughs> people are seeing that aren't really there. So that's where I think the stigma comes in. I think that's a little bit of the feeling, but she did not have that. She clearly stated she had two degrees in psychology. Yeah, she never thought that anything that she was seeing was real, except yeah. for in moments of, you know, she might herself say it was a moment of weakness where for a second she would say, oh, well, I've got to send a picture of that corner to my right. friend to see if anything's really in it. But she never was really at the point where she thought that all the stuff she was seeing was definitely there. She knew it wasn't, but it was still frightening. Like the spider well, woman on the stairs, yeah. she's still throwing pillows at it. She doesn't want to walk through it. And, yeah. you know, who can blame her? So I also think it's interesting how she talks about initially the voices she heard were of her loved ones calling just her name, not, yeah. not really conversations, but yeah. then that later changed to the threats that were from voices that she didn't know. And so that is really fascinating because when you think about Graves' disease and also NMDA, autoimmune disorder, or, you know, what, that disease has several names, and it was only just recently discovered in the past 12 years, I think, past dozen years or so. But it's interesting that whatever that illness does to you or to your nervous system or to your immune system, the end result is that your senses not only get interfered with, but they're being interfered with in a way that is producing something that your brain understands. Like the fact that it's not just that you're hearing voices, it's voices that are saying words that you know. It's not gobbledygook. I mean, at first it's just shapes. She's seeing stick figures or weird little shapes yeah. or whatever. But then it becomes a full-blown, well-defined character. You know, the right. spider woman or the Mr. Fishman. Well, and, it's evolving. Right. So how is that working? Why isn't it more entropy? How is it coalescing into something that you understand? That's my question. Is mm. it a result of the instigation from the illness, or is it just your brain trying to make sense of things that are coming into it? And then whatever the answer to that is, how does that affect how we perceive reality in general? Am I making sense? I feel like I'm not really making sense. Mostly. Uh, I, but that I, I guess... Gets, you know, but that gets to the larger argument for me, again, when we're, we're talking about our uh, final conclusion points here. What is this thing? What is happening here? Is it totally medical? I see it breaking down into three things, of course. Totally medical. On the other hand, 
possibly totally spiritual, if you're willing to go that route, or maybe a combination of both, as we hinted at in the beginning of the show. It could be a combination of that with one leaning more towards the other. To be clear, we're talking about general instances of this. We're not specifically diagnosing Sarah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm saying, in general, when people experience these kinds of things, what is the root cause? And one thought I had, and this might come from the one side where it's totally medical and the people in the totally medical camp don't go anywhere near the middle or the, the other end. It's all just medical. So let's say it is all just medical because I was wondering about this aspect as well. Why are the things that Sarah was seeing so horrific, so terrifying, really awful imagery, the rotting corpse hanging from the ceiling, the grotesqueness of the spider woman, the sharp fang teeth of the weirdly grinning man, you know, the grinning monster, whatever it is, fish man, I think you called him. Yes. If it's just your brain firing off stuff crazy haphazardly, why isn't it just big fluffy bunnies? and candy-coated unicorns and rainbows and all that kind of stuff, or yeah. just something in the middle that's kind of neutral. It's like, well, I... Or something that doesn't make sense at all. Right, right. That's what I was trying to say, which you've said more eloquently well, that, that and in be, a quicker way. Yeah. Why? How is it that it's even making sense? I would say the logic of it is it, it pulls stuff from her own brain. In yeah. any case, even if you believe it's spiritual, I think. Yeah. If you do believe it's spiritual, that's the other end of it. It's like, it's, it's what we've seen before with people who experience strange stuff, who don't have a disease. I want to make that point clear. These descriptions seem fairly common with people who have had very intense, very sober and trustworthy people, very credible people who claim to have had strange encounters. We get these emails all the time from people who, you know, they're not nuts, they're not conspiracy people, from what we can tell. And some people that we do know personally that we trust have had really strange encounters that are very sincere about them. Some of these things are very similar in themes and imagery. So when it's maybe coming from a spiritual angle, whatever's happening, they believe that it was pulling from their imagination, from their knowledge, from their memories, from their experiences. You have no secrets with them, and they use that, whatever you're afraid of, they use that against you. Because what they want out of you is fear, not to ascribe any motivations to <laughs> beings we can't understand, possibly but that it does seem to pull stuff out of your own head, especially like in dreams. People have had strange dreams where it's just the most horrible thing you can imagine. So as she was saying, her fear was stuff at the bottom of the deep, dark ocean, Kahulu, kind of mystical monster kind of things, and things like the anglerfish, and, or it's also the, uh, the triple wart sea devil, you know, with the long fangs that are like an inch or two inches long. Fortunately, those things, I think, are about the size of a cantaloupe. So yeah, things that she's afraid of, and maybe that's a tie-in with those ideas too. And you wonder, where is this imagery coming from? Now, she said that she had a childhood interest in things paranormal, haunted houses and fun, scary rides and strange stories. That's not something that's anathema to her imagination. That's, you know, she's interested in that, and maybe that's where this imagery is coming from. So in the totally medical point of view, is it, then I wonder something that your brain is trying to signal you about, trying to flag you down, trying to show you really scary things in a very clumsy and horrific message of saying, hey, something's really wrong here. You better pay attention to this. Go get this checked out. Go get some help. Just things are going off the rails and no one's listening. You're not getting any help. It's a cry for help from your body, from your subconscious, perhaps, that people attribute to dreams. Is that where this imagery is coming from? Because if it was fluffy bunnies and, you know, kittens, you know, and and rainbows and sparkles oh. and all that. It's like, oh, that's kind of pleasant. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. I'm seeing this stuff where I, I thought I saw 
a Tinkerbell fairy out of the corner of my eye, and it's weird, but she was very cute, and I'm just not going to say anything about it. I'm not really do it's it's I'm not going to tell anybody about this because that sounds crazy. But it's not uh, something that gets your attention as much, I think, or or motivates you that something is is really wrong. You know, it's like it's not as much of a motivator. Of course, it should be if you're seeing things that you you believe that aren't real. You should get that checked out. But maybe it's not put as much of a fire under you as it would with something horrific. I'm Heather Olson, and this is Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. Well, what else did you want to touch on as we're wrapping up the show here? Part of this is, unfortunately, I think why it went on so long. And not, again, as I said a little bit earlier here, not to blame doctors as a group because, you know, I have doctors in my family and they're decent people who given a lot of their lives to learn about how to help treat people and get them better. But I just think it's a human thing to want to solve this. And, yeah, and of say, course. like, here's the best that we know. Just go with this. And the only thing that saved her, I, that probably saved her life, perhaps, is that she did not feel that in her gut. It's like, this is not it. This is something physical. This is not, I'm not having a psychotic break here, and that's all it is. It's not having to do with antidepressants. There's something else going on. And it's hard to do because it's not concrete. But what I'm talking about is to listen more to the patient and trust their gut feelings on something when they say, look, there's something else going on. Can we just do another test? And it's like, you know what? I got 12 other patients to see today. So let's just go fill this prescription and uh, let me know how you are in a week or two weeks. Slightly different though, when we talked about the sludge entity in, in that case, in that they were checking everything they had and they ran out of answers. They ran out of options. Like, well, we've done everything we can. Bring them back if it gets worse. And as I said on that show, that's not really an answer. That's a road to the end because it just keeps getting, like, what's the point in that? Are you going to discover anything new? So they're not kind of dismissive. They're like, well, we're out of answers as far as Western medicine goes. Here, this answer lies in medical science of the Western world. So it was just being able to listen more, I think, closely to the patient. So I wish that would happen more. I mean, who knows, the, again, the conditions, and that's why I asked her about that a little bit. And for all we know, the doctors that she was seeing were overworked and overburdened, had heavy caseloads. There could be a billion things going into why they didn't seem to want to look past her own diagnosis. And that's the other thing. Everybody comes in with their self-diagnosis. Everybody's like, I oh, Googled this. This is what's wrong with me. Yeah, that's I've done it myself, I've, and I've done it with cars all the years. Yeah. I'm like, I know exactly. This change of plugs is going to be fine. And of course, it isn't. It yeah. turns out to be something completely different. Well, you can blame the internet for a lot of that because people can look up a lot of information. On the other hand, it's and armed podcasts. a lot of people. <laughs> people <laughs> it's armed with a lot of information that they found useful. But it's yes. vetting the information. Yeah, but the I, hard I get it. Is that, And I know a couple of people who are... Uh, hypochondriac, self-admittedly, and would say like, yeah, I start looking up something on WebMD, and the next thing I, I'm pretty much sure I got that. Yeah. And that happens. That's a tendency. But in, as we were just talking about, there is in some cases, I believe, in the scientific field for a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of hubris, as she described. And I wouldn't be attributing that if she had not, Sarah had not described that herself, and that the, that's the attitude that she was getting. And it reminds me a little bit about Dr. J. Allen Hynek's view on the mainstream science that was kind of poo-pooing the search into things that we couldn't understand yet. And it reminds me of that great quote, I thought, uh, from Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, and he was uh, Blue Book's first director. But he liked Heineck because he didn't do something that he saw a lot of other scientists he was dealing with, this uh, Captain Ruppelt, 
Heineck didn't give you the answer before he knew the question. Yeah. And I think that has a connection here. It's just like, yeah, look, this is what I got. I'm giving you my best shot here. I don't feel it's necessary to take these other tests. And that's that's an important thing. If you feel something is right, just you should demand it or get a second opinion. That's happened with me where I've never before, you know, I never used to question it growing up. And then uh, I I had a medical thing where I got a second opinion and it made all the difference. Yeah. Just you got to talk to other people because they're, again, they're all just people, all these scientists, all these doctors, they're well-meaning people, but just people. And they make mistakes. And a lot of times they don't want to admit to it, which I, Scott and I have this uh, running gag where somebody tells you something and you go check it out. Turns out not to be true. And all they got to say is, huh. Oh, yeah, that came from my friend Jerry. That's, that's, oh, the, yeah. the June bug in the ear. Yeah, the Jerry. guy, what's gotten into you episode. Yes. Yeah. We had been sent somewhere and we went to go there collectively and someone had recommended it to us. And we, when we got there, no one was there and no one would open the door. And uh, when he went back and told the guy, you know, I went and nobody was there. And he's like, well, is, are you sure you were there at six o'clock? And he'd go, yeah. And the guy would go, huh. And then he'd say, are you sure you were on, you know, such and such street at six o'clock on Wednesday? Yep. Huh. Because the, the whole implication is, whatever you're saying, even though you're giving me all the right answers, yeah. I still don't believe you. Yeah, you didn't do it right. <laughs> you didn't do it right. You didn't do it right, yeah. and because uh, yeah. that rocks their world, so there's yeah. nothing to say about that. Kind of yeah. like the response of, you know, some of our doctors, like, eh, well, I guess that's what it was. You yeah. know, sorry for the <laughs> the year and a half of uh, torment. Yes, and possibly putting you on, you know, anti-psych meds for the rest of your life while you wonder what's going on. When in reality, you only needed a month of medication to yeah. keep this thing at bay. Well, it's again, it's people and they are fallible and they suffer from the same shortcomings we all do. Sometimes it's a little bit of hubris. But now let's talk about something I think we're the big question, Scott. For a lot of our listeners, if you're tuning in, you generally are interested, if you don't believe in it, you're generally interested in the supernatural angle. And there's a lot of that here that can be ascribed to things, paranormal things, supernatural, that kind of realm of ghostly apparitions and demonic kind of things. Because it certainly sounds like that. It's tremendously horrific what she had to endure. Just seeing, can you imagine just seeing all this stuff on a daily basis? And then, you know, even though she knew deep down, like this wasn't real, that's starting to chip away at your own sense of reality and your own sanity. It's like, this is so much. Is it real at all? What's happening here? Does Sarah's case have a place in this scale here? I've always wondered if when you see things like this, whatever experience you have, whether it's LSD or an illness or whatever, when you hallucinate, I often wonder if whether or not you're seeing something that's wholly internally generated or if you're just pulling a curtain back on things that are always there and you can't see. Okay, so you just hit on an important point in my notes here for the end discussion and that you and I had recently read an article, you, you probably said it to me, about scientists now kind of figuring out how LSD works and why you see such crazy things Yes, when you take it. And kind of the thinking now is that we have a normal filter which selectively lets different input and stimuli into our brains that we can comprehend. So you, you can act like a, a, you know, a productive member of society and focus on one thing at a time or go out and, and enjoy nature, but not have it all flood you at once. And what LSD is essentially, this is greatly summarizing it, but what it's doing is that it's removing that filter. Now you're getting everything. You're getting all 400 channels of direct TV into your brain at once and it's wigging you out. You can't process it. You, can't you don't have the bandwidth it. to process it. Exactly. You're seeing strange things. The menu at Baskin and Robbins on the it's just going nuts. It's squiggly. It's all crazy. The colors are strange. The smells. But what happens is that, yeah, you're getting all that at once. 
And that's why you start to see things that maybe aren't there. I've not really heard too many hallucinations. But that's my point. We're yeah. still getting back to my question. Yeah. Are you seeing things that aren't there? Well, the, are you uh, seeing yes. things that are there that you don't normally see? Well, that's the second point that made me think of this is that if you remember back at the NDE episode series we did, I think it was Dr. Mario Beauregard or one of the scientists that had uh, probably misattributing that quote, but who had the idea of, well, people are saying that you're seeing these things in the near-death experience like angels or, or family members and bright lights and all that good stuff just because your brain is deprived of oxygen and your body's basically panicking, your mind is panicking and throwing a bunch of images out at you that might be comforting, or, or the T-1000 Terminator going to do all those characters, like, let's try this, let's try this. Here's somebody you met at a supermarket a while ago. Yeah. It's just throwing everything at you. And that's all that's happening. It's nothing supernatural or spiritual. Your brain's just deprived of oxygen, and that's what it does. You see things. You hallucinate, and that's all the near-death experience is, and you come back or you don't. What one of the near-death scientists had to say is like, well, maybe... That near-death experience, that deprivation of oxygen and that panic state of uh, extreme adrenaline and whatever's going on chemically in your body is stripping away the filter that keeps us from seeing dead people and ghosts and spirits and having these experiences of a bright light and a warmth and something loving or even something horrific, but it shields you from that. And now you've turned that filter off. It's like when you go to the eye doctor and they bring that giant crazy looking thing around and put it in front of your <laughs> eyes. And they're flipping. Better? Worse. Mm, Better. They're mm. just changing and changing. You're and still looking through something. Though. You're looking through something. You know, obviously in the case of the eye doctor, you're seeing something clearer right. or fuzzier. And so the implication here of sort of what you're saying is that there's the filter that normal existence is, you know, between you and the outside world all the time. And when that filter goes away, we are, in that case, seeing things that are theoretically either there going back to our definition of reality and mm -hmm. hallucinations, or they are how we would perceive them, whether they're there or not. We would perceive the world entirely differently if it weren't for this filter that is part of the human condition. Right. Because and that it, filter it lets get, us function. Gets, yeah. Right. If it gets messed with and it, it peels away those layers, and then, yeah, maybe it's just visual representations of, uh, you know, of Sarah's anxiety or right. whoever's anxiety right. in this case is the woman on the, the spider woman on the stairs. Yeah. I mean, she made it very clear that she thought that there was a relationship between her fear of the deep sea and the yeah. anglerfish and the dude on the couch with the anglerfish mouth. Right. So right. that all makes sense. It is just so crazy to, you know, perceive a manifestation that's like fully humanoid and interacting with you. Well, it, to a degree. Now, yeah. what I saw that was interesting because, again, we've heard a lot of stories and we, we know somebody that has had kind of a sighting of a creature or being that had these many legs coming out of their back, arms or legs, yes. uh, appendages, we could say, that was very awful and horrific, inducing a lot of fear and terror, just even thinking about it now. The spider woman that reminded me of that. And so that's a visual, kind of a common theme, or one that I've heard quite a bit, these appendages coming out of something and reaching. Well, it's again, going back to the sludge entity, these long tendrils, the black smoke, the smells. And we know these people that we've heard these stories from don't have a medical condition because that's the other thing I was going to say. It's not everybody who sees this has some kind of medical condition because obviously those get worse or they maybe they're intermittent, but... It's not like they have a disease that goes unnoticed and they just see something and then it goes away. As the case with Sarah, like this was getting worse or at least consistently bad for a long time. So 
these other people that may have had one experience and either they go to another house and it stops or something happens to change that. And as far as we know, they don't have any medical conditions or as far as they know either. So it's not just people, again, who have a medical thing going on. Sometimes it is something that's beyond our realm of perception or understanding. Well, and there's a whole other aspect that you bring up an important point. For instance, about the smells. And I remember specifically in, this, in the Annalise Michel story, yeah. the smells were being experienced by more than just her. Well, that was so, one. Yeah, you, we were talking be, about this. experienced by strangers on a bus. That's right, because she went to the woman who was kind of the family friend who organized the trip to the Holy Water site, Yeah, and she thought that might help Annalisa herself, but they were on the bus, and she's having one of her episodes. Now, I understand, you know, as we heard from Father Duffy, they can be, people can talk in, like, you know, a real deep bass voice, and you don't think it's possible. He's seen some amazing things, people bending their joints in ways that you couldn't imagine, and bending over and doing all kinds of unimaginable physical things. But the one thing that struck me is that everybody in the bus, at least if you believe the report from the author of the one book we read, as well as this woman recounting that and everybody on the bus, was that they started smelling this overpowering smell of burning feces. And sulfur and burning feces and those kinds of smells are largely associated with something demonic or the devil himself. My point earlier about like with the spider woman, it's not totally interactive with her, which I found interesting is that she's seeing these things. So yeah, in your case, I think there were other people who experienced other stimuli other than just her. So in Sarah's right. case, yeah, it was just her. It was just her, and it was specifically hallucinations. Right. It's a whole different ballgame when two people who are completely oh, yeah. separate individuals yeah. see the same thing. Right. Or smell the same thing, or a piece of furniture falls over, or a sound is made that people are hearing. And in some cases, the sound might not be actually existing in the real world, but both people have heard it in their heads. Yeah. In other cases, it is in the, you know, there's something went thump upstairs. Yeah. Well, devil and, in the diner. That's yeah. two people separately, independently experiencing the same sensation. Right. And that's a whole different ball game unless you both have the exact same condition, like Graves' disease or right. non-receptor NMDA encephalitis. If you both have it and you're both having the same symptoms at the exact same time and it's manifesting in you both hallucinating the exact same thing, yeah. that's a whole different ball of wax. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. yeah and but, now you're suggesting a psychic connection of sorts. Right. That's one of the big differences, I think. And however, this gets onto a slippery slope again with Annalise Michel. Mm -hmm. Her family apparently thought they were seeing behavior that could not be explained just by her hallucinating. But... The truth is, when you read about the NMDA encephalitis, a lot of the contortions and the voice changes and all that, that has been reported. Sure. So then you're trying to figure out, okay, can you defy the laws of gravity? Can you right. bend the rules of physics? At that point, it doesn't matter what condition you have. You're breaking the, <laughs> oh. the laws of the universe. Yeah. Okay, we've got something else going on here. So once again, like with the Latoya Amons case, when the social worker and the nurse were in the room with, a, I believe, someone else, another official, this 11-year-old boy, or however old he was, runs up the wall onto the ceiling and does a backflip and ends up in back of them, and that's not possible. Right. I mean, you could run up the wall. Every, we see a lot of dancers do that. That's the old singing in the rain gag. Yeah, on a uh, set that's on a gimbal. <laughs> well, the, yeah. no, but you can, you've seen <laughs> people a, do that, run up, you know, and they do a backflip. Oh, yeah. Oh, when I'm they do the I'm talking about running flip. up yeah, yeah. onto the ceiling. Yeah. And for a few steps are sticking to the ceiling. That's, we know, is not possible. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying is that now you've exited the realm of physics as we know it. Yeah. And, so now yeah. either that person is experiencing a combination of things, like maybe a real medical issue, but also has gone to the next level. Yeah. Or as the witness, you're the one with the problem. 
because you just saw somebody stand on the ceiling. Right, right. It opens up a whole lot of other things. But I guess I just wanted to point out that Sarah, who came on the show, her case mm-hmm. very clearly is primarily about hallucinations and some physical manifestations, which I asked her about, but that was like tremors and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's also goes with the symptoms of uh, Graves' disease. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're making your checklist, if you're listening to this and you've been, some strange things have been happening to you, yeah. now you can categorize what position you might be in. Well, there's different things. And certainly I think everybody that we know that have, have told us about seeing strange things that shouldn't be there and should not be possible but they know they were. It wasn't just, you know, a shadow or an actual mouse or actual Mickey Mouse hands from under the door. You know, when it's something that a lot of people are witnessing or several people like with a Pontifract, where you're seeing gloved hands now in midair, whatever it is, I don't think you can jump to having a medical condition if nothing else is going on. So you have to make an assessment for yourself. Yeah. So you have to make a determination for yourself along with your medical professionals, as we said at the top of the show, to determine what is wrong with you. Don't try and just do it yourself. If you really do feel like something is wrong, and I believe a lot of times you'll kind of know, you'll have a sense that this is something medical or, or what's going on, but seek help. Certainly don't try and figure this out yourself. If you feel like this is something supernatural, there are ways to get help with that too. You're not alone there either. That other people are experiencing similar things. What I found interesting with her case though, and the differences in the accounts that people have told us is that a lot of times there is more physical interaction. As I might've gotten to earlier, some people who wrote to us, a lot of people actually now in the, in the two years that have passed since we did the Shadow People episode, a lot of people claim that these things jump on you. They try to strangle you. You feel constriction of breath. And it's not just in a hypnagogic or hypnopompic state, you are feeling something grabbing you around the throat and squeezing the life out of you or, or trying to make that impression to scare you. Or you see the old hag. That's another thing with the old woman made out of smoke and black fog is that there is something kind of thematic about the old woman, the old hag, that old, that apparition, that type of apparition. But other people have said, oh yeah, she sat on my bed and I saw the bed go down. I saw it depressed down as if somebody was there and then she vanished, or she sat on my chest. That's another part of the old hag is that they sit on your chest and compress it and you have trouble breathing. There's more physical interactions that are associated with this. So it was interesting that hers are more visual, even though she did feel like, I believe the blobby hands, she said, felt like they were trying to pull her into the wall. Mm -hmm. But these interactions weren't to the degree as we've heard from other strange experiences, something that seemed to be more paranormal. So as we get to the close here, I think with her case, you know, it's hard to say because I, I am open to the possibility of there being things that affect you, let's say, that are otherworldly, that are not just purely medical. I believe there can be room for a combination of things. And I'm glad that this seemed to be medical, but yeah. I can't say because I believe in that. It's like, well, I don't, I don't think any of us can say really Maybe there is a spiritual angle to this, but at least it was able to be controlled for the most part with Western medicine. And we're always thankful of that. We're not always looking for the woo-woo answer to this stuff because it does seem like she has gotten better. However, 
it's still a challenge for her, right? You know, she has gone off the medication that she was initially prescribed, and that was done specifically to see if the symptoms would return, and some of them have. So, and that's not a shock, but it's something that you have to check for. And it, so it looks like she's going to need to have ongoing medication, right. possibly indefinitely, to keep this issue, Graves' disease specifically, yeah. at, at bay. Right. So she's a very brave person, and I thought she was really brave of her to come on the show, actually, and tell such a personal story. Mm, absolutely. And thank you so much, because... We do believe it can help other people. Just talking about it, which is the first step, can enlighten other people or just get you to question, maybe I should look into this. This reminds me a little then of the sludge entity and that people have reached out to us since that aired and said, well, I have something medical going on. I think I've exhausted all my options. And what would you suggest? It's like, you know, as long as it's not interfering with any medication or treatment or anything that your doctor says, because of course, go there first. But if it doesn't seem like it's going to hurt or it's not going to conflict with your medication anyway, then why not explore it or at least check into it? That's part of the, the theme here, too, is get a second opinion, <laughs> you know, wherever that opinion might be. Then be judicious about it and watch out for yourself and be your own advocate but question your doctors. Look for more information. And that's kind of what saved her here, no matter where you get the information. But again, use your own common sense and arm yourself with knowledge. Now, final question for you. Do you believe this is strictly medical? I think in her case, I do believe that it is strictly medical. And I think it's very compelling to hear her say that she thought that Annalise's case was primarily probably medical. And right. I don't think she said this, but I, you know, for for me and Father Duffy, I seem to remember his opinion yeah. was that it was a combination of possibly medical and and abuse or, or a combination yeah. of the two. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, it's kind of a controversial thing to claim, especially when you have, that's just going by his casework. Yeah. And he admittedly- will And say, also the know, evidence in her case. Yeah, getting banged up like that and the way it was described and going by his field work. That's what it sounded like to him. You know, he was the first to admit he's not actually examined her, which right. you have to do uh, right. to make an, a, a decent assessment. But in that case, though, with Annalisa Michelle, just because of what's been described, I'm not totally convinced it's it was completely all medical and abuse. I mean, I don't I can't even say about the abuse. I don't know. No, I, I'm you know. not sure either. But I guess, you know, getting back to what I think about Sarah's case, right. and I'm not a licensed anything. No, so, but, um, <laughs> we're not even licensed to, to do what we're doing now that you're listening to. <laughs> but, um, you know, I agree with her that it's a medical condition. Yeah. And obviously, you know, medical treatment is helping it get better. Yeah. Then to me, by definition, you're dealing with a medical situation. Right. My only question is, and this is the, you know, the out of left field stuff, and this is where the skeptics and our friends, we have many friends that are skeptics, will roll their eyes mm. at me probably, is whether or not a condition like this is the symptoms and the experiences are all medical in nature, or if those are spiritual experiences that are happening because of a medical condition. Yeah, well, so no, that's, that's the question that I have, yeah. and I don't know that it can be answered, really. But there are people who, like, they're not taken seriously by anybody in mainstream uh, science. No, course. we should have them on the show. <laughs> well, that's uh, <laughs> because we love uh, answering emails like that, yeah. uh, complaining. <laughs> they're not taken seriously, but that is a big area of thought now for people who do these more esoterical studies, and people who accept there's a spiritual angle to our physical condition. And thinking that there is something to do, there is some connection between our physical bodies and condition and the spiritual condition. 
and the spiritual world. And maybe one affects the other. There's a lot of people who do believe that a lot of these things may be sparked by something negatively spiritual, and that one feeds off the other. And then once it goes away, you ignore the spiritual part of it because that's kind of what it wants. It's not there to have you prove the existence of the paranormal world. It's there to, to mess with you in a way or whatever, whatever their aims are, it's doing and it's doing effectively because you still don't believe in it. So that's what we're left with is just more questions. And, and in this case, unfortunately, medical science hasn't totally cured her, but it's a way for her to cope. So Sarah, I just wanted to say thank you again for coming on the show. It was a very brave thing to do. And I think it was really noble of you to share your story so that more people that might be experiencing the kind of things that you're experiencing will be sure to explore all of the possibilities for what's going on with them. So we're going to close out tonight's show with Sarah reading the original email she sent us on September 26th of 2017. I just, for one, want to say how happy we are that you're doing better. And when you reached out to us, we honestly were just taken aback by the nature of the email that you sent us. We've never received one like that before or since. And um, I thought it would be nice if maybe you could, if you could read it for us, because it would be nice to hear it in, in your voice, because it was a very, it was a life-changing moment for, for Forrest and I. So... <laughs> I, and I really, you could have, by the way, you could have gone through everything you went through, including hearing about it on our show. And we obviously are going to pass this along to Father Duffy, but, and never have told us how this came about. So I just, I want to thank you for reaching out to us about it. It, it means a lot to us. Thank you. Well, actually, that's something I probably, I probably should have said, but I did genuinely want to express my thanks to, to both you and Forrest and to the Ark and Father Duffy, because it really did. I mean, if I hadn't heard it on, the show, I would have ended up taking the antipsychotics. I possibly would still be ill. And I really appreciate that you taught me something which changed my life for the better, to be quite honest. So thanks. Well, thank you so much for your time and coming on and telling this story. I think it's not only is it going to strike a chord with people, it may help somebody else. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, that's something that I kind of, since it's happened, I've been telling everybody having psychiatric symptoms, but, you know, also consider just in case, because I've been looking up online about misdiagnoses and I've not managed to find the number for the UK, uh-huh. but um, I think it was the, the International Thyro Federation. Okay. They estimated that almost 50% of people with thyroid disorders are misdiagnosed. And I don't know how many of them are misdiagnosed with mental disorders or with other things, but it's a really highly misdiagnosed thing. So I'm kind of if someone else does has like me where they listen to something that helps them, then that would be incredible. I'm telling everyone now, it's like, check your thyroid. Well, if it's any consolation, you just told probably between 150 and 200,000 people. So, Oh, geez. <laughs> that's good, though. I mean, if our audience wasn't that size, you probably wouldn't have heard the first one with Father Duffy. That's true, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for speaking with me, and thank you for getting back to me in the first place, and obviously, thank you for the show. Oh, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> it's not something we ever expected from our silly little <laughs> paranormal podcast that we do, so... <laughs> All right. Well, if you'll read the email for us, and then I'll, uh, I'll let you go. Dear Scott and Forrest, this is going to sound a little strange, but I need to thank you because a piece of information from your show probably saved my life. I've been suffering from auditory and visual hallucinations for over a year. It started with hearing voices calling me when no one was there, 
and were small black shapes out of the corner of my eye darting away when I turned to look. This escalated over a short time to become shadowy creatures scuttling across the floor, disembodied hands grabbing for me, and finally developed into full-blown shadowy humanoid figures, all while I was wide awake in the middle of the day. I saw a rotting corpse hanging in my bathroom, a creature with a mouthful of jaggy teeth in my living room, and the worst one, a ragged, spidery shadow woman seemingly made from dark black smoke. I would hear voices threatening me, telling me to watch myself or else, or that they'd kill my family. While I fortunately maintained some awareness of reality, with my brain refusing to accept what my eyes and ears were adamantly insisting was there, I was carted around multiple psychiatric facilities, where I was diagnosed with everything from a depressive psychotic episode to full-blown schizophrenia. I had multiple MRI scans checking for tumours or inflammation or anything physical in my brain which could be causing it. I was put on antipsychotic medication, and when things got even worse, I was nearly sectioned. I couldn't live on my own, and in my mid-twenties, I was back living with my parents. I wouldn't socialise with anybody because it's hard to keep a conversation going when I was constantly trying to keep an eye on the shadowy people around me. I was terrified. Even though I knew they weren't real, they felt so, so real, and I was resigned to the fact that my life had ground to a halt and that I had perhaps gone completely crazy. That's when I happened to listen to your episodes on The Devil and Annalise Michelle, specifically the one with Father John Duffy, where you talked briefly about potential other causes of her symptoms, some of which were sounding worryingly familiar. You mentioned that something as simple as a firework condition could cause such symptoms, which led me to do some research and discover numerous papers of the fact, which I immediately took to my doctor to insist on another blood test, this time to check my thyroid function. Within a week, I had the results. I had Graves' disease, an autoimmune disease which is a form of hyperthyroidism and if left untreated can be fatal. My thyroid levels were all in the danger zones. My white blood cell count was so low, my immune system was barely functioning. This is what had been causing my hallucinations. I was immediately started on medication, and within weeks, almost all hallucinations had stopped. So I wanted to say thank you. I don't know if you'll ever read this, and it may seem silly, but it means a whole lot to me, and I just wanted to let you know. Since the doctors had long just decided me crazy, without listening to your podcast and hearing that one thing, it is doubtful my hypothyroidism would ever have been discovered. My life would still be on hold and still in danger. After so long of living with these hallucinations and nothing seeming to work, I can't believe it's finally over. So Scott and Forrest and Father Duffy, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I genuinely owe you guys my life. Yours sincerely, Sarah. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Astonishing Legends. We're dark next week, but we'll be back the week after that with a new show. Please remember to support our sponsors. They help keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are solely their own. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Scott Philbrook, Forrest Burgess, the Astonishing Legends staff, and or any other contributors to the show. Hi, I'm Eva. Hi. Hi, I'm Jenny Chang. I'm Heather Olson. Galaxy-wide, wide, a present or future compensation. Now, back to the show. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees-Wendel and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also our head of research. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound design and additional composing is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the Astonishing Research Corps. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
You can also support the show at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. Good night.